Hello, this is Scott Jens. Welcome to Sandbox Stories. Hello, welcome to The Sandbox Story, which is an interview with someone who I think has stories that deserve to be told. She's not from the eye care field, but she's pursuing a life in healthcare. Brittany Amberman is a driven, intelligent, and very gifted person who I think you'll be glad to get to know. We've known each other for about nine years, having met by complete chance at a couple of fundraising events for gynecologic oncology right after my mom passed away from ovarian cancer and I can't wait to get into your interesting stories and get to know you once again. Welcome to Sandbox Stories, Brittany Ammerman. Hey, how's it going? It's going great and I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You grew up playing hockey and then you played collegiately here at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. I'd like to have you tell people what it's like to play high level college hockey and of course, to win a national championship. Uh, I think it's an experience like no other. Um, you know, a, a lot recently I've been reflecting on like athletics and what it's given me at this point in my life. And I, I did not realize how much it would follow me um, as I'm getting ready to apply for my residency in medical school. So, um, but going back to, I was talking today in the operating room, actually, someone mentioned something about high school. And I was like, you know, I went to a hockey school in Vermont and the surgeon was like, you did what? And I was like, yeah, I basically just like got tutored and played hockey for three years. And then I went to the University of Wisconsin and people are always blown away that like, you know, you'll be like, oh, I played ice hockey in college. And you know, you're usually like, all right, you know, where'd you play? And then when you say University of Wisconsin, everyone kind of like takes a step back. And then they ask if you're from Wisconsin. And then when you say, no, I'm from Northern New Jersey, um, you get kind of like spun around and, and then everyone's like, well, did you win a national championship? And I'm like, of course I did, you know? And like, now you're at a point where you can totally own it. Um, and it's not something that everyone even gets a chance to play in the frozen four and gets a chance to play in a national championship. And I thankfully won my uh, freshman year in 2011, played national championship game my sophomore year. Um, and then lost two more times in the Frozen Four, all to Minnesota. So we are a little bitter about it uh, to this day. But um, yeah, I just think it's it's something that not many people get an opportunity to even uh, try to accomplish uh, and play at such a high level. And then now um, everything that it's given me in life and my career, um, it's just, it's like honestly incredible. I never thought a lot of things would come from just being so invested in a sport that I ended up loving so much. Is it because the, of the conversations and the way it gives you a chance to reflect or the way people sort of look at you, or is there really more to it? Just the thought about all the hours, both on the ice and off, like, is it a little both? How, how does it, how does it enrich your life today? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely both. I think, um, you know, it's definitely at this point, like, I guess you could say a good way to network with people. Mm -hmm. Um, it gives you a topic to talk about, um, Often it's a way to like open up about other parts of your life by using that avenue of sports and whatnot. But mm -hmm. I think more so on like a more granular level right now, it's the amount of time that I dedicated to that sport alone. Um, 
you know, my mom and I were talking about it kind of recently. My sister, Brooke, who also played at Wisconsin, and I, we do uh, hockey camps every summer. We've done it since we both finished playing at Wisconsin for girls in New Jersey. And, um, you know, do we make a nice dime on running hockey camps and giving lessons? Yes, that's not why we do it. Uh, but my mom was making a point of like, well, you kind of deserve that other end of it. You spent 18 years of your life, you know, dedicated to a sport. Like you started playing when you were five. And it just took off from there. Um, you never like you didn't go to a lot of people's like bar and bat mitzvahs growing up because you were at hockey tournaments. You didn't go to prom in high school because you didn't really go to a real high school. Um, you sacrificed a lot of things, and your friends were in athletics and not in your high school. And you know, um, so I started kind of thinking about that. And then now that I'm getting ready to apply for orthopedic surgery residency, there are a lot of crossovers between being an athlete and what's going to need to be accomplished and focused on when I'm an orthopedic surgery attending um, and a resident. And it's a lot of things that you, you know, everyone's always like, oh yeah, like all af former athletes go into orthopedic surgery. And now that I'm getting ready to apply for it and you have to say, why do you want to be an orthopedic surgeon? Uh, it's not just because I was a, a jock and still am. Um, it's more so like there's a team aspect to it. There's, you know, you're in the operating room and you have to focus on something um, and you have to be prepared and you have to know what's coming at you. Um, and that's what playing at a very high level was like, you know, like you had to prepare all summer. You had to get in shape. You had to be focused. You had to know the other team you were playing. You had to scout. You had to be able to work with your line mates. You had to be able to communicate. So there's just a lot of things um, that sports and athletics in general just keeps kind of rising back up now that I'm at this point in my life. And the other conversation started that comes from playing at Wisconsin and, and the women's hockey team is our coach, Mark Johnson, who is your coach. He was on the 1980 men's Olympic hockey team to beat the Russians and then went on to win gold after that. And that's called the miracle on ice. Hockey people know it. Um, what did you learn from him as a person? Um, I think first and foremost, he's probably one of the most humble people uh, you'll ever encounter. Um, he, like, you would never know that he was part of that team, let alone, like, arguably the most important part of that team, the goal scorer. Um, and so, you know, just at baseline, he was just always very humble. And even when we, when our teams were very good at Wisconsin and he was doing press conferences and stuff, he was always so even keeled. And it was always a we mentality. Um, and I think that is something that he instilled in all of us. And as we leave Wisconsin, um, I would like to say that almost all of us are very humble people. Um, and that's just kind of the culture that he ingrained in us. And then um, also he just, like, he has a very good perspective on life. Like he, um, you know, hockey was important. And he also realized that we weren't all going to go to the NHL because we didn't have a chance to. We weren't going to make a living going to the NHL we were going to have to do other things in life and we were going to have to grow up and we we're going to want to have families. And so he treated all of us like part of his family, him and his wife. Um, it was always an open door. And I think just that family aspect um, made us all very close. And a lot of us still talk now. And I think that's just the kind of human being he is. Everyone's kind of part of family at Wisconsin Hockey. Well, and talking about family, you have a family that's very tight and cohesive you're one of four girls in your family. As you said, your sister played at Wisconsin. That had to be cool. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, it's actually kind of funny not to go on a tangent, but 
someone someone said, you know, how'd you end up at Wisconsin? And and I was like, well, you know, it was it was mostly I had scholarship offers to all the schools, and I just picked the top three I wanted to go to, which ended up being uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Boston College at the time. And I originally had all all the Ivy Leagues on there because I knew I was going to probably go to medical school. Um, and my dad was like, no, you got to take them off. And I was like, I, I just don't understand. Like, why do they have to come off? And he's like, we're not going to qualify for enough financial aid unless so if you want to pay to go to Harvard, you know, they, they have to come off. And now I'm like, thank God they came off because that, that would have been a lot of debt. Um, but uh, when I was deciding where to go to school, I kind of went through a funk. Brooke was two years older than me and she was in her freshman year at Wisconsin. Um, and Brooke was always, she's just very naturally gifted and we're very different, um, both on the ice and just in life. Like we're the best of friends, um, but very different personalities. Like she's go with the flow and I'm like type A and like, I always need like a five-year plan and like, I'm just crazy. And she's just kind of like, yeah, whatever happens. Um, and that was what it was like with hockey too. Like for her to do something, I had to do it 10,000 times to do it half as good as her. And I was kind of at a point where I was like, I don't know if I want to follow in her footsteps. I'm getting kind of tired at it, tired of it. And, you know, I was like, what, like 15 or whatever. And I visited Boston College and it's like four hours from home. It's like Boston College, like this like glorified prep school type of place. Everyone loves it. Uh, and I was just in a mood and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to Boston College. And my dad was like, no, you're not. Like you have, in five days, you're flying to Madison, Wisconsin. And I was like, yeah, but like I love I love Boston College and the coaches are telling me everything I want to hear. Like, you're going to start right away. You're going to be on the power play. Like, who, what 15-year-old doesn't want to hear that? And my dad's like, just please, like, don't make any decisions. Just wait five days. So, like, we left Boston College. I was grumpy about it. Got on the flight to Madison and I was, like, in my brain, like, there's no way I'm going to like this place. I'm going to do everything to, to dislike it. I'm flying into Madison. I'd never been to the state of Wisconsin. And I'm just looking out and there's just, like, fields. I'm like, this place is terrible. And um, I landed and I was like, no, it isn't for me. Like I just saw cornfields everywhere. And my, sis my other sister, Megan, came on the trip as well with my parents. We we're going to see Brooke play that weekend. We drive into Madison and like, you know, you see the Capitol and I'm like, oh no, I really like it here. <laughs> and then like we start, we start like the tour and stuff and I'm just being like completely silent. Like I'm like poker face. Like I'm refusing to tell anyone what's going on in my mind. And my mom's there and she's like, you're, you're spinning wheels in your head. I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't like it. Like, I don't like it, you know, and like I came up with every excuse, like the campus is too big. I'm never going to figure it out. And my sister was like, there are three roads you have to figure out. One goes this way, one goes this way, and one goes both ways. And I was like, that's too complicated. Boston College is just a small campus. It's fine. And everyone was like, pros and cons list, whatever. Um, and then I watched their first game that night. And was like, wow, this is kind of impressive. They were playing in the call center still. Like, the lower bowl was filled. Like, everyone was enthusiastic about it. The team was awesome. Like, I knew all the girls already because I had visited Brooke, like, um, at other tournaments and stuff. And so I was like, okay. And then I got offered the scholarship the next night, and I just sat there and was like, you're playing okay. straight face. <laughs> like, I didn't, say, I didn't say anything. My dad was like, you could see smoke coming out of his ears. Like, Mark Johnson's offering you a scholarship and you're just going to sit there and say like, I don't know. And so finally my mom was like, just give her like a couple weeks. Is that okay? And coach Johnson, of course, even feels like it's fine. I understand big decision. We walk out of that room up into the stands for warmups. And I sit down next to my mom and I, I look at her and I go, I want to go to school here. And she was like, you've got to be kidding me. And I was like, 
well, I just, I just had this feeling just now. And she was like, you could, you didn't have it five minutes ago. And I'm like, well, I sat down and then I realized like what I just did. And she's like, well, now you have to go tell him. So I like tap my dad on the shoulder. Like dad, I, I want to go to school here. And he was like, what? Like, stop talking to me. You don't know what you're saying. And I was like, how do I do that? Do I just tell someone? And he, he literally was like, you've got to be kidding me. You have to go down there now and tell them. And so I got over myself and I think it's the best decision I've ever made. Um, of course, like so much has come out of it, but that allowed Brooke and I to end up playing together for two years. Uh, and we were roommates for, she was there an extra year after she finished playing. So we were roommates for two other years. Um, and we were wine mates for a little while, which was hit or miss depending on the day, you know, like you're always the little sister. So, <laughs> and like I said, she was very good. Um, she was the goal scorer. So, um, uh, but yeah, it, we won a national championship. We played Boston College in the semifinals that year. So my whole family was like, thank God you know, <laughs> that you were here and not at Boston College. And I was like, yeah, but you would have been rooting for me. Brooke had already won a national championship. Like, you know, but so we played Boston College and then we beat Boston University. And like, that's something Brooke and I, you know, can always share is that like we won a national championship together. Um, and like that was like one of the best years of our lives. Like that team was just amazing. Like Megan Duggan was our captain, and there's a reason why, you know, she went on to captain the Olympic team. And um, Brooke and I have a lot of good memories from college in general. Um, that like you know you don't get to spend that amount of time with your sister like in such like a, you know, like transformative time in your life. So. And cool. your two older sisters have brought all these nieces and nephews into your life. You you enjoy time with them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So my oldest sister, Christine's 15 years older than me. And she's got three kids and her oldest son is 15 years younger than me. So it's kind of like having a little brother. Um, and then there's, you know, uh, I have a niece and a nep another nephew from her. And then my sister Megan has two more kids, um, Jack and Brady and Jack's my godson. And then Brooke now has two kids. She has two boys. Um, and out of all, all of them, only one plays ice hockey right now, but I'm sure Brooke's kids one of playing, but the others all play lacrosse and field hockey and big athletic family. So everyone's, all of them are on the weekends going 700 different places. And now that I've had a little bit of downtime recently after taking my boards and stuff, I've gotten home to see them and spend more time um, getting to some of their games and stuff. And so it's fun to watch them grow up and like, uh, they're starting to realize too, a little bit like Luke, the oldest one, he's starting to realize like, he's probably going to play lacrosse in college and he's starting to talk about, you know, college athletics. And I think he's starting to realize that like Brooke and I played at a really <laughs> elite level. Um, but it is, it's like kind of weird when you grew up with it, like he was at those national championship games. So it's mm -hmm. like not, you know, it doesn't phase him, but um, it is fun to like see him to start, like go through this process too. And we were fortunate enough to meet your parents and uh, your mom was a nurse and your dad was a school administrator. And um, it, you, from the stories you've told, they, they've guided you well and uh, you're fortunate that they're healthy and well. And are they, are they fine? And, and what, what do you have to say about them? They're great. I mean, COVID, I think in general is a whole nother topic and it was hard for a lot of people. Um, they're both retired now, which was great because they were spending a lot of time with their grandkids. Um, and then COVID happened and that was hard because they didn't, you know, it was like a whole year of not really seeing everyone. Um, but thankfully our whole family stayed healthy um, and we've been able to get together this spring again. Um, but yeah, my parents are good. My, my mom comes and visits uh, often to Hershey, um, sometimes unannounced, which is good and bad. But uh, most recently I, I was uh, 
inducted into the Gold Humanism Honor Society, which is something that when you become a, a rising fourth year med student, your school can nominate you for. And it's just like you focus on, you're someone who focuses on like patient-centered medicine and you're like a good humanistic practicing student doctor. Um, and myself and one of my best friends who's about to be my roommate, um, we got inducted into this honor society and they were doing a virtual ceremony like on a Thursday night. And I sent it to my family and I was like, if you guys want to log on, like, I don't really know if I'm doing anything, but like, this is cool. Like, you know, just let me know. And my mom called me that morning or texted me at like seven in the morning. was just like, what are you and your friend Katie going to do tonight? Like, are you going to have drinks? Are you going to go get dinner? Like to celebrate being inducted into this honor society. And I was like, no, nah, I mean, Katie will come over and we'll like watch it. And then, you know, we'll just like go about our lives. And my mom was like, I guess she ended up being like, screw this. Like, I'm not going to go down to our shore home today. I'm just going to drive to Hershey, Pennsylvania. And at 3 p.m. she calls me and she's like, I'm outside your apartment. And I'm here for the ceremony and I'm taking you and Katie out to dinner. And so she was like, you yeah, know, this is the best. I'm a retired uh, nurse and I come and I hang out with you and your friends and take you out to dinner. And I get to hear all the stories that you guys have being on your rotations. And she's like, I always loved my work and I love being in the hospital. And as happy as I am retired, it's really fun to be able to hear like how much you all enjoy being in the hospital. Um, so my mom find, finds a lot of joy in, in what I'm doing right now. Um, and she really loves to like hear all these stories that yeah. we have going on here. Yeah. And, and you, you, over this course of your educational process or attending med school at Penn state university or at Hershey, was it your mom that influenced you or some, something else that influenced you to pursue medicine and become a doctor? I think my mom was probably like under the surface part of it. Um, like, you know, like when I was in high school and like middle school, I would go with her. She worked nights her entire career to be able to stay up during the day and take care of us. And mm -hmm. there'd be some nights that I'd go with her. Um, she was a NICU nurse most recently. Uh, I think when I was in middle school, she became a NICU nurse after being like a night supervising nurse. And I would go with, with her every once in a while and see the NICU babies because like I felt there was just something about like being in the hospital that I liked. And I knew that like I was going to do something that involved like biology and anatomy and like the human body but I I wasn't it wasn't at that point where I was like my mom's a nurse and I want to become a doctor because of that um but I do think like her interest in the medical field probably transcended down to me in some ways and then I just like in high school I just really like I guess I felt like I was smart enough to do something on that level um and I just really liked anatomy like I loved the human body I think part of it was like I was becoming an elite athlete and I was like shocked at what the musculoskeletal system could do and like what a human body could do on just an athletic level um so I was like dabbling in medical school as a possibility when I was in high school in physical therapy and physician assistant school because my mom did say you know just dabble in like all of those because medical school is a big commitment and there are other routes to get you know depending on what you want out of it so I shadowed like all of those and for whatever reason, I just was like, I need to be a, a physician. Um, and I didn't know if I was going to be a surgeon or not. Like at that point, I just wanted to be a physician. Um, and so that's kind of how it started. And then when I got to the University of Wisconsin, I was linked up with Dr. Lisa Barrett, who's a gynecologic oncologist. Um, and that was through one of our team physicians at Wisconsin. Um, I think he was a, a sports medicine fellow with us at the time. And I said to him, you know, like, I'm really interested in women's health and like um going into medical school do you know anyone that I could shadow here 
Um, and he was like, yeah, like Lisa Barrelette's like an awesome human. She's like just recently started her practice. Like, why don't you just go hang out with her? I think Lisa Barrelette thought I'd hang out with her for like a Monday for like a few hours and never show up again. Like, I, and I, I always joke with her because I showed up and then I showed up every Monday for a year or more, I think. Um, and I just loved like watching her interact with patients and, um, the way that she just like communicated with them and would draw in like the basic sciences in medicine and the, the humanistic part of it and like treating patients as if they're her own family and she was making a difference. And, um, I liked also the surgery part of what she was doing. Um, and so she was very influential when I was in, in undergrad. I think she was the person who I was like, when I spent that amount of time with her, that's when I was like, all right, this is what we're doing. Like, we're going to try to go to medical school. And then it was a long road to get to where we are today. <laughs> and you've said it's a slog. I mean, the hours, it's, it's everything it's made out to be. Uh, those of us in optometry certainly put in some time, but it's not like going to med school and, and getting ready for your residency. And it's expensive. Uh, optometry is $250,000 for, you know, the, the postgraduate work. Do you have a sense of what it's going to cost to have gone to medical school? Not that it's all coming out of your pocket, but do you have a sense of what it's going to yeah. cost? Um, so I think like the national average is around 250000 like when of loans when you get out of there and then, you know, you defer most of the time throughout residency. Um, you know, I think for me, it's looking at, uh, it'll end up being like over 300000 easily, maybe more like three fifty. dollars uh, Penn State, there's, it's like, it's a, probably middle of the road. I say middle of the road, it's like $53,000 in tuition a year and that's without living. Um, and so there's that. And then you get like a grace period when you graduate, I think it's six months and then you start residency and depending on where you'd like to go to residency, um, you, you know, you might have to take out more loans. You might not really be able to pay that much. Um, and cause residents, it's essentially government paid. You get paid the same amount, no matter where in the country you're working. So if you're in New York city versus, uh, you know, even like a Madison or a Hershey, Pennsylvania, like the difference in cost of living uh, is an exponential difference. So I think it'll end up being a few hundred thousand dollars. Um, and like I said before, it's an investment uh, in time and money. Um, and fortunately, I did not have any debt before this. Uh, like I was, I went on to University of Wisconsin on a scholarship um, and then I got my master's, but I paid for my master's on my own because I had worked for a year before getting my master's, I was a surgical sales rep, um, for Don Joy in orthopedics in Madison for a year. And then I was doing lesson hockey lessons and hockey camps, like up the wazoo when I was in, in my master's. Cause I was like, I am not paying for this with any loan money. Um, but like I said, it was a hard road. Like I, I graduated Wisconsin and I applied to medical school and I wasn't ready to apply. Like I didn't have the best advice in applying. Um, Applying to medical school is a really hard process. It's a whole year of your life. It's really expensive. Um, it's time consuming. And I applied and my MCAT score at that time just wasn't great. And I didn't get any interviews. Um, so I kind of took a step back. That's when I was a sales rep and was like, I, I still want to do this. Um, like I'm not going to be deferred from this. So I went and got my master's at Rutgers in biomedical sciences. And then I geared up to apply again. I took the MCAT again. Um, and then the year that I applied, I was a research assistant in New York city, um, and luckily got a few interviews and then got accepted. Um, so when I got to Penn state, like I was like, we're, we're in it to win it here. Like we've made it this far, like we're going to do it big. 
<laughs> That's awesome. And and how did you come to orthopedic surgery? My guess is <laughs> having spent some time understanding muscles and bones and sometimes not only how they work, but how they don't work well together. You got influenced that way? Yeah, I think most elite athletes at some point have an injury that requires a surgery. Um, and I had both of my hips uh, scoped. I had torn labrums um, with cam lesions, which are essentially like bony spurs. Uh, when I was, I guess it was my senior year of high school, I had one done and then my sophomore year at, at Wisconsin, I had the other one done. Um, so I had that experience uh, and then I had injuries along the way. Um, but like I said, like I was, I was kind of all over the place before I started medical school with what I intended to do as a physician someday. I just, I liked women's health. I liked gynecologic oncology. Orthopedics was always on the radar because everyone was always like, oh, you're an elite athlete. Like, orthopedics is for you. Sports medicine in a primary care setting was also part of it. So I just was like, I don't know, like before when I was applying to medical school, I actually, if you talk to me, I probably was like, I'm going to be a gynecologist or do gynecology. Um, and that was before I knew anything about the obstetrics part of OB-GYN. But, um, and then I, the year before I started medical school, when I was applying, I got this really cool position as a research assistant at a hospital for special surgery in New York City in the Women's Sports Med Center. Um, and the way that I got the position was I, I went online and I knew that this Women's Sports Med Center existed because it, at hospital for special surgery is where I had my hip scopes done. Um, and I had heard about this Women's Sports Med Center. So I went online when I needed a job. And I was like, they, of course, they do research. They need a research assistant. There was no open position for a research assistant at the Women's Sports Med Center. But I was like, eh, that's not going to stop me. So I emailed um, their medical director, Dr. Lisa Callahan. And I was just like, hey, like, this is my name. I played hockey at Wisconsin. I'm trying to go to medical school. Like, you know, here's a little bit more about me. Like, this is what I want to do with my life. Like, I'm interested in women's health. Um, it'd be really cool to be your research assistant. Do you have any openings or is there any, anything that, you know, I can do for women's sports med center. And she replied to me and was like, set up a meeting, essentially an interview. I guess she liked me a lot. She thought I had a lot of confidence, just like cold email her and be like, do you have a position? Um, and then they made a position for me and I spent the year as their research assistant. And it's, it's like a bunch of female physicians on in primary care, sports medicine and orthopedic sports medicine. Um, and all, they love to mentor, um, sports medicine as a field in general, doesn't have a lot of females and then orthopedic surgery in general, I think has like 6% of practicing attend attendings are females. Um, so they are like excited when they get a female research assistant, let alone one that was like, an elite athlete at some point. Um, and it was just the coolest year. Like I did their research and I learned a lot about research and clinical research and that's something I'm going to want to keep doing in my career and then I got to spend time in clinic and spend time in the operating room and see primary care sports medicine versus orthopedic surgery sports medicine um, and so when I started medical school I, that was basically where I was at I was like we're either going to do um, either non-operative or orthopedic surgery sports medicine and um, I realized I could do women's health within sports medicine and someday take care of female athletes if I want to um, and then I got to my third year rotations and just waited to see how much I liked the operating room and um, what other places I could see myself practicing as a resident. And it just so happened orthopedic surgery was like my favorite rotation by far, um, followed by vascular surgery because I was in the operating room and like it like hands deep in anatomy. Uh, and then 
I still loved primary care sports medicine, but I just felt like I needed to be hands-on and actually fixing things. So that's kind of how we got to this point right now. Just a quick take. How was the ophthalmology rotation? I did not do ophthalmology, but my best <laughs> friend, Katie, who I was talking about earlier, is pursuing ophthalmology. Okay. And I say to her all the time, thank God there are people like you in the world because I can't do the eyes. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even, I can't. I don't understand them. I tried. I don't understand them. Uh, and I just, I could not operate on them. So thank God That's for awesome. other people. <laughs> and I just want to point out the exception to the rule. My femoral anterior impingement, my cam lesions that caused me to have a hip replacement puts me in the elite athlete category, according to what you're telling me. So uh, I never scratched that surface, but it makes me feel better. <laughs> so yeah, you talked about women's health. Um, you you really did learn um, a, a lot about you know that passion you had while you're here at Wisconsin. You ended up doing a trip to Africa while you're here in college that impacted your life. And I'd like you to tell us about it. Yeah. So um, this is another thing that I just like, it always comes up in conversation at some point and I'm still shocked that it happened. So um, I had, I had redshirted my junior year at Wisconsin because of a concussion that was just like terrible. It was like my third or fourth really bad one. And it was like nine months of just like headaches and double vision and no one could really get to the bottom of it. And there was a lot of talk of like never playing the sport again. And as much as my mom constantly said to all of us in my family, but mostly Brooke and I, because we were playing hockey for essentially a living in the scholarship. Um, she was, she was always like, you know, there, there's more to life than hockey. And like, at some point it, it's going to run out and like you can coach and give back or like you, there's got to find, there's got to be other things and it might run out sooner than you hoped or you planned and injuries a real thing. And it was the same thing when we were deciding where to go to school, you had to find a place that like when you got there, was the campus that you loved and you could see yourself there as a student and not an athlete because you didn't know if a coach was going to leave someday or if you were going to get hurt or, you know, whatever would happen. Um, so fortunately, even though I was not well, I was like very depressed um, during this time. I was like having these like very introspective thoughts of like, what am I going to do if I can't play hockey? Like that is a whole identity to me but I know like I'm confident in myself and I know I have these other talents and another way I can give back to the world. And how can I use what I've learned as a hockey player so far at the age of 21 to like change the world in some way or benefit other people. Um, and at the same time, like I was considering medical school and I was like, I need to go give back to like people somewhere else and like see what it's like to not live in Wisconsin or New Jersey and like have, you know, a very nice life. Um, and so I applied on a whim. I was a women's studies major at Wisconsin, um, to this, and I was a global health certificate or minor, I guess you could say, and you, you had to do like a global health outreach thing at some point. So I applied for this one that everyone talked about. They were like, if you're in women's studies and you're in global health and you want to go to Africa, um, Araceli Alonzo is like the best professor ever. And she does this trip called Health by Motorbike. And she takes only 12 students a year. And they go for like a little over a month. And we do community outreach in like the sticks of rural Kenya on the east coast, southeastern coast. And like you bond with these women and like you live with them. And like you become a part of their community. And the way that she goes about it is like so phenomenal. And it will change your life. But you have to apply like multiple years in a row because everyone wants to do it. So I was like, whatever, okay, I'll apply this year and I probably won't get it. And then I'm going to have to hopefully 
maybe I'll, there's a shot of me playing hockey again, and then I'll just train and I'll try again next year. So I applied and then <laughs> it was either I was going to do this or I was going to go to Australia and like save sea turtles. I think that was my backup plan. Okay. Um, <laughs> so so that, that's the point we're at. And um, I got accepted. Like RSL Alonso liked my application and was like, you're one of the 12. And so I was like, all right, I guess this is what we're going to do. At the same time, I was like also starting to feel better. I had gotten to different doctors and like I started to figure out why I was having double vision and my headaches were going away. and It was sounding like I was going to be able to play again in the fall. So then I had another dilemma, which was I had to tell Coach Johnson that I was going to Kenya <laughs> for five weeks when I should be training uh, for our season. Um, and he said to me, that's great as long as you come back in shape. And I was like, all right, we're going to take some P90X with us and a jump rope and we're going to make this work. But it only lasted two days because it was like 100 degrees at 5 a.m. and 120 <laughs> degrees by 10 a.m. Uh, and there was just no working out. And also, sadly, it's not like you can just, you know, go for a run right. um, in rural right. southeastern Kenya, like in a in a village. Like, it's just not right to do that when people, women are walking hours a day for water. Um, and it just also for other reasons wasn't safe. So, uh, got to a point where I was like, well, I got to do something active. How am I going to do this? And a guy was selling soccer balls on the side of the road and we were in a bus going to our next place. Um, and I just rolled down my window and I think I paid like five bucks. I was like, you know what? I'll take the soccer ball. We're going to be running health clinics. There'll be kids that are waiting and we'll just, I'll just go run around with them and play soccer. Uh, and that'll be the exercise and we'll figure it out on the back end. Um, and I took the soccer ball out and these women that we were doing the outreach with, they're 30 to 50 years old. They have a bunch of kids. Um, they get like no time for themselves, uh, cause they're doing everything domestically while their husbands are working. And, um, the kids started to play and the women were like, uh, you're not playing. We're going to play. And, uh, they literally took the ball from the kids and these women started a pickup game. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, like I was playing with them. I was teaching them the rules. They played till the sun went down. I think the ball deflated and they just kept playing. Um, and it happened like a couple times over the month that we were there. And then when Araceli leaves each year um, to plan her next trip back the following year, she always says, hey, what do you guys want in the curriculum next year that the students from Wisconsin will educate you on? Um, and like for perspective, the year before I went, when it ended, they had said, you know, can you give us some tips on like how to combat domestic violence in, at home and like, this is what's happening to us. Um, so she's like gearing up for something like kind of on that level. And they're like, we want to play soccer. And she was like, what? and they were like, Brit taught us how to play soccer and women in Mexico play soccer. And the men here don't even play soccer. And we want to play soccer. Like we want a soccer league. So Araceli like thought about it and then called me when I was, she was still there and I was already back in Wisconsin and she's like, Britt, I don't know anything about sports. You're the one who brought the soccer ball. You should do whatever you want to do with this. Like there are two of the seven villages that are like, we want to play. And so I sat on it for like months and I was like, all right, well, if we're going to do this, this is, I need $5,000 because they're going to need all of the supplies. They're going to need gear, need jerseys because why not? And I was like, all right, like I'll do a t-shirt fundraiser um, online, like customing.com. I'll get to like $4,000, $5,000. We'll have this game. And then in my head, I was like, and it'll be a great day for them. They'll love it. And then they'll move on. And, you know, it was a good day. Um, that was not the case. <laughs> the game happened. There were a thousand people at the game. Like their entire villages came out. 
um, their husbands came to the game. These two villages played. And then the other five villages were like, well, we want to play. And we want to play monthly. And we want to practice every other week. Um, and, like, we want a tournament every year. And I was like, oh, okay, I think I need more than $5,000. Um, so at that point, that was 2014, it, I then was like, you know, talking to my mom, I was like, mom, like, I need more than $5,000, but I don't even know, like, what does a person do? And like, I think this is going to become like a, a nonprofit, like a 501c3, like, this is a lot. And so we established the Nikumbuke Soccer League, and it became an official, you know, nonprofit organization. And then my mom said, why don't you email, um, like, Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm from that 1999 World Cup. Yeah, just shoot high. Yeah. Yeah, like, they're super influential. I guess this is where I got it when I emailed Dr. Lisa Callahan, because I'd done it before. Uh, And my mom was like, what's going to happen, Meg, are you? Like, okay. So I was like, all right. So I started Googling, and they all have charities. And, like, Mia Hamm has a charity. And I emailed the, like, general email to her. They wrote back, and they're like, we have a grant for $1,000, like, you know, you're competitive for it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, only need $49,000 more. But, like, Mia Hamm's charity says, like, I'm worthy of it. And I emailed Julie Foudy's Leadership Academy. And Julie Foudy herself, two days later, emailed me. Like, not from the Julie Foudy email. Like, it was Julie Foudy's email. And it was, hey, crazy lady, this is awesome. Here's my cell phone. Text me. We'll call you tomorrow. And I was like, I think Julie Foudy's calling me tomorrow. And she now has my cell phone number. You know, and I sent this email that was like the same thing. Like, hi, my name is Brittany Ammerman. I play hockey in Wisconsin. Like, here's this cool video of what, what I did in, in Kenya last year. And like, the women are really happy about it. And it's all about them. Like, this is what they want. They keep asking me. And I'm just trying to get them what they need. Like, I have not suggested anything. They come to me with ideas. And Julie Foudy called me and then helped me raise almost $50,000 through like crowdsourcing that year. Um, did a sports center featured piece on me. Like when we were in about to go to the frozen four, it got a ton of airtime, hooked us up with Nike for like jerseys, all this stuff. We funded seven villages. Um, and it just like took off from there. We had a big tournament that year in 2015, um, with all the villages. And then now it's 2021 and there are 13 villages and they practice every other week. They play once a month. There's been a Nikumbuke world cup every year except this past year due to COVID. Um, and it's just turned into this like very serendipitous, but crazy cool organization that I never thought it would come to. And it has, which I really love at this point, like health initiatives as its basis, you know, like clean water is a big deal. We help them get water tanks. So they're not each 10 hours being spent walking for water. Um, instead they can spend that playing soccer and like, working on fitness and that's really good for diabetes and hypertension and obesity, which are all big problems there. Um, it's like really big on social cohesion and bringing tribal villages together, which I was like, did not think sport in the form of what I have now helped create that that would happen. Um, we've been able to publish a bunch of research on it more recently within the past two years, we got a hundred thousand dollars private grant to do a research study when I was starting medical school on the ground to say like, hey, this is how sport is helping these women emotionally and physically with their well-being. And now it's published in journals, like international journals, saying like this is a grassroots level thing that can be implemented in other parts of the world um, to help with X, Y, and Z. And here's the data to provide uh, and back that up. So it's just, it's become 
just like a, I don't know, like I said, it's just like a crazy thing that I've never expected. I still am shocked. Like when people ask me about it and I'm like, well, that was eight years ago now that it just kind of like happened. And I've had really great support systems and a really good um, group of board members to like help me while I'm busy in medical school. Um, and people just love it. Like they love the, like what has come of it and it's cool. It's sports and it's health and it's women's empowerment. It's all the things that I love. And I think the coolest thing about it is I don't do a lot. Like I don't do a lot for what, like these women ask me, they come up with the ideas. And that's something that I didn't even have to explicitly state. It's just kind of an underwritten thing that if they come up with an idea and they send it to me, I'll do the work to get them the funds, but I'll never impose on them what I think should be done. And if they ask for my opinion or my board's opinion, we can have a conversation about it. Um, but they know that if there's something they want, they come to me, whether it's via, you know, FaceTime or just a message and they say, this is what we're thinking about. Um, and if they give me good reasons and kind of like a business plan now, um, then I can consider it and find a way to get them the means to do what they want to do. And the most recent one is they want only women coaching them right now. We have a male coach and they want, they want it to be all women. They're like women coaching women. That's it. So we're trying to come up with a way to train all these women and working on a grant. Um, through the U.S. Embassy. So that's our latest one. But I think that's the coolest part about it is I just kind of sit back and the women are the ones that ask for it. And I don't think it would work if, if you try to impose on them, you know, what you think. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, like I said, it's just something that I still kind of get goosebumps about. Um, it was not something I envisioned in my life ever happening and still being like so alive and well at this point. That's wonderful. I mean, it really is right back to the origins of it, them being asked what did they want. <clears throat> and it started with, we want to learn more about soccer. And that combination of health and wellness and sport is wonderful. And I know you don't do it for this, but I, I think the Big Ten Conference recognized your humanitarian contributions for helping develop that. Yeah, um, the Big Ten did. And then when I was in my senior year, I was awarded the NCAA Hockey Humanitarian Award. Um which is, it's great to be acknowledged for that. But I think even in my acceptance speech and when people that were doing like media stuff with it, I, I was just like, this is more, you know, for the women of the yeah. UK. And, um, you know, like, like I said, I just, you know, try to network here and get the, the means to be able to do these great things. And it's, they're the ones doing all the hard work and the ones that are wanting, to, they want to continue women's empowerment halfway across the world. And, um, you know, they ever said, you know, software's just not doing it for us anymore. I'd be like, okay, that's fine. Uh, but I don't foresee that happening now that they have, I think, three more villages that asked to join. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I love my health by motorbike shirt with Nika Buke on the back. And I'm wondering if anybody was still wanting or was interested in supporting you, how, how would they be able to do it? Yeah. So if you just go to um, www.nikambukesoccer.org. Uh, you can see what we're up to and there's ways to donate. Um, we also have these cool, we partnered with this, um, I guess you could call it another nonprofit organization that was featured on Shark Tank a while ago called Taluma Totes. And um, we buy fabric from the women that are part of Nikambuke. It's another one of our little side things that we're doing. Um, we, we buy the fabric from them and then it goes to Taluma Totes and they have um, people with disabilities who put together these totes, these backpacks that are made out of the fabric. Uh, and then they sell them and we get a portion kicked back to us and then they keep a portion. Um, so you can check out those on our website as well. And then 
there's options to donate um, on behalf of someone. You can pay for the coach's salary. You can pay for our commissioner's salary. There's different ways to donate. Um, and then if you want something like a personalized jersey or something, if you just reach out to the email, um, we can do that. And another thing we do probably once or twice a year is on Twitter. We do some Twitter auctions of signed uh, Nikon Bouquet memorabilia from like former Wisconsin Badgers. Um, in January, we had uh, James White, who was a running back at Wisconsin when I was there, and my neighbor uh, in our apartment who sent some signed cleats from the Patriots and did a Twitter auction with uh, Bucci Gross from ESPN. And I think we raised like $4,000 or something in an hour. Um, so there's different ways to get some, your hands on some really cool Nikon Bouquet gear or, um, you know, put money towards a good cause. My optometry friends, please think about supporting this. And um, as you as you show us your energy, I mean, my my face muscles hurt just from uh, smiling and, and enjoying this. As we wrap up, you you are very very overwhelmed by med school at times. You ride the Peloton to sort of get it all out, do you? Yeah, I so some retail <laughs> therapy happened in January. Um, it's my board studying um, and. I bought a Peloton bike. I had a indoor, like a Schwinn bike and was doing the Peloton app for a while, but I just was like, you know, I go on it every day. Um, so I'm a big Peloton enthusiast. I'm that person that if you're out somewhere, I'm like, do you know I have a Peloton? And right. then I bond with anyone else who has a Peloton. Um, but that's, a, that's another thing. And, you know, it goes back to like having really good mentors. I think um, like before I started medical school, one of my mentors at women's sports med center Karen Sutton, she's an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, she played lacrosse at Duke. Um, and she was like, I said, do you have any advice as like about to be a first year med student who's like going into the unknown? And that's like a big thing in medicine is everything's just like kind of a black hole. Like you don't know, you know what's coming next, but you don't know what's coming next. Like, you know, you're starting medical school, but you don't really know what you're in for. And you know, you're starting your clinical year, but you don't really know what you're in for. You're starting to apply for residency and like, it just, it constantly <laughs> happens and it's stressful. I remember her just saying to me, like, Britt, you're an active person your whole life. Um, you've been built like around time management because you were playing sports and you were being active and you had to be on a training schedule and you had to be on the ice and you had to manage everything. And she's like, take it for me. Um, you want to keep that activity going because uh, it's going to be really good for your mental well-being. Your physical well-being is an obvious one. Um, and then, like, your time management. Like, you're not going to want to have too much time on your hands, but you're going to want to be busy. Um, and I, that was something that, like, when I started day one of medical school, I was, like, working out is something that needs to be part of my, my daily medicine, and it's, like, meditative for me. Um, so the Peloton, as of recently, too, has been very nice being on fourth-year rotations, and I'm, you know, up at four something in the morning, um, getting on the bike before I go into the hospital at five. And then, um, you know, I don't come home till seven or eight on, depending on the rotation. So my Peloton's my best friend. <laughs> Only people who have been involved in hockey understand what me, what it means to say, you have to really be scheduled to deal with ice time. It's not like basketball. <laughs> ice time is so precious in so many communities in this country and and people who have not been around it don't understand practices at six in the morning or starting at 9 45 at night so I, I get what you're talking about um and and you talked about your hockey camp for girls that you and your sister do and you're really willing mentor mentors to young women and i guess i'd just like you to sort of give this maybe one of the last points is 
the importance of giving women a chance to be supported in their passions. You talked about the Nikabuki Soccer League. Um, what can I understand about that? Um, what can you help us understand about that important um, rep- recognition of what women need to be supported in, in their endeavors and ambitions? Yeah, so I think, you know, like I said early on in this podcast, um, like I've been having a lot of reflection recently, and a lot of it revolves around gearing up to apply for residency and a very competitive residency in orthopedic surgery, um, and one that so happens to only have, you know, 6% of practicing female attendants being orthopedic surgeons. So um, there's a lot that goes into that whole process. And like right now, I'm working on my personal statement, and it's why do you want to be an orthopedic surgeon? And um, you kind of reflect on different parts of your life. And we've talked a lot about and so far today, like, you know, I think about being an athlete and what that taught me and my time at Wisconsin. And then I start thinking about, you know, what I've done in Kenya. Um, and then I start thinking about my time as a research assistant at hospital for special surgery. And there's a common theme between all of those. And it's that I always had really great mentors. Um, and most of them that have been super impactful for me so far have been female mentors. Um, and I just think that, I and my sister and I talk about this a lot. We didn't have female coaches growing up. Brooke, I don't think she had one female coach her entire career. And I had one for a year or two um, at the Colonials, who was a former Olympian. Um, but other than that, like we met, we had each other, and we had our older sisters and our and our mom. And she was, you know, it wasn't like explicitly talked about, but we were just raised as like strong, independent, powerful, empowering women. Um, and then when Brooke and I like got to this point where we could start giving back, um, especially in hockey, we realized like what an impact it is to be a female hockey player and then be on the ice with other like young females and just how like different they are and like how their eyes light up because they're now looking at these girls who accomplished, you know, a pretty high playing level. And that's, that's something that they dream of. And they, you know, it's, they see themselves now, um, in us, like they, you know, if you can see it, then you can be it, that whole thing. Um, and so Brooke and I have done our camps and Brooke's continuing to do it. Um, the second week of July in Northern New Jersey, she's got Ammerman hockey school has signups happening now for girls. Um, and that's just something that we've been really, really focused on, um, is giving back and being mentors for especially young girls. Cause it's just few and far between, um, I think in ice hockey and then in the medicine world, um, it's, it's just nice to have, like, I have many male mentors who are very he for she type of people, um, and they're excellent and you need them. Like, you know, it's like what you're asking, what, like, what can I do? Um, I just think it's recognizing that like innately, and this may be my own opinion, but innately, um, women and men are just different. And, uh, you know, the way that we learn, and there are studies out there, it's just a different way. Um, and it's not that one way is better than the other, but it's just helpful. Like women have a little bit more stake in emotional intelligence, I think. Um, and so they value like positive feedback and some like emotional connection with someone. Um, and I think that makes a big difference. And it, it's just that is something that has been a common theme is when someone um, like a lot of my mentors, especially in medicine, have taken an interest in me as a human being and not just as a future 
position for a future orthopedic surgeon. Like they want to know, what do you do outside of the hospital? Um, what does your future look like? You know, um, where do you want to practice medicine? Uh, like what, where'd you come from? Like, what's your family like? Um, and those things, like for me personally, I'm like, that means they're invested and they, they're really trying to help me. Um, and they know me as the entire person because if you just talk to me and you only know that I just want to do orthopedic surgery and I'm just a med student, you don't know anything else about me. It's kind of boring. That's like kind of vanilla, but like, I'm also not one to sit there and be like, hi, I founded a nonprofit and I played ice hockey at Wisconsin and here's my resume. Um, and so when they take a liking, like it just, it's like we were saying before, it just opens doors to talk about different topics and it makes conversing with people and connecting with them so much easier. Um, and I think connect, connecting with people is something I really enjoy and finding common ground. Um, and it's kind of funny now I'm thinking about it. Last week I was in clinic on orthopedic trauma service and um, one of the physicians here, I asked him for advice just about like, what do you write about in your personal statement? Like for your residency, is it like your medical school one or do you just kind of try to be as bland as possible? Like I've heard it, I've heard it all. Uh, and he didn't, he had not seen my resume yet. He had just known me from being in the OR and like some research interactions. Um, and like, he knew that I played ice hockey at Wisconsin, but that was kind of the extent of what he knew about my whole being. Uh, and he said, you know, like I prefer to be like a little bit more bland, but you know, one of the ones I remembered from the past years, and I read a lot of personal statements was like someone who took a few years off before medical school and founded a nonprofit overseas and it influenced why they wanted to go to medical school. And that was like, you know, that's like once in a blue moon. And I just kind of stood there and I was like, you know, in my head, I'm like, okay, well, that's basically what I'm writing about. But me being me was like, I'm not just going to voice to him like, oh, well, I have a nonprofit because that's right. not the point of it. Like, there's a whole story that like, I really shouldn't have a nonprofit, but this is what happened. And then like a few minutes goes by and then the, a resident asked me like, what are you thinking about writing or he said, what do you, what's on your mind? Like, what are you going to write about? And I was like, so I actually do have a nonprofit uh, in Kenya, you know? And then, but then we like, were able to have like this kind of more like emotional intelligence conversation about women's empowerment and how that has led me to now wanting to be an orthopedic surgeon. Um, and so I think now I, and more recently too, I've just, a lot of younger women have been reaching out to me um, to get mentorship about medical school. Um, and your niece was one of them. And I just like really love those conversations. I just think like, cause then I think about myself when I was, you know, seven years ago, like bright eyed and bushy tailed, but like also so scared and needed someone to pick me up. And like Lisa Barrelet was that kind of person. And all my mentors at HSS still are and were those people to like hype me up and be like, you're good enough. Like, this is what, you know, you're going to be okay. You're going to be more than great. Um, and just having those conversations and like seeing, like when I talked to your niece from like the beginning of that conversation to the end of the hour, like she just grew so much and like gained so much confidence. And like, you know, I'm there being like the hype woman, but I'm also like, listen, I lived it. Like it's going to be okay. Um, and it's just coming full circle. Like last, uh, on, I don't know, someday last week, some um, mom of a girl that I coached for like an Atlantic District hockey camp summer, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, coached the girl her, for a week. Uh, her mom 
mom called me like out of the blue and I was like, is everything okay? And she's like, yeah, Courtney just graduated college and you know, I'm putting together a video montage for her and she still talks about you and like how much confidence you gave her over that week and like staying in touch with her, even though it's like, you know, once a year you guys catch up and I want you to be in this video montage. And I was just like, me, you want me to be in it? And she's like, yeah, you just have this like aura that like, you know, you helped Courtney so much and she's going to be so thrilled to like see you on there. You know, like I know you're super busy and you guys haven't talked in a while, but like, I know she's just going to like lose it when she sees you because she still talks about that like week that you helped her. And, you know, you don't realize that. Um, and it's just something that I think I've had great mentors who have now instilled within me that like I should be giving back and I should be mentoring. And I just think it's great to like connect with people and see them grow and like I said, like down to be any, anyone's hype woman, uh, for any of this. Um, so if there's any, you know, young females out there who, it doesn't even have to be medicine, you know, if it's something in life, it's global health, women's empowerment, um, you know, anything like that, like, you know, you can track me down, you can email, uh, my nonprofit, like whatever, I'm there to like be a sounding board because I've had so many of those people in my life. Yeah. From great mentors, Come great mentors. And not only that, you are somebody in whom many others see them, their future selves. And you talked about it with your hockey you know, player, um, my daughter, uh, you, you mentored, um, and now my niece. And uh, that's wonderful. And there's so many women that have come into optometry that I'm absolutely positive you've given a bunch of them something to think about as well. I can't thank you enough, Brittany Ammerman, for being a friend. And uh, I'm sure my mom had something to do with us getting connected. And I just can't wait for you to give your positive impact on your patients and, and watch it all happen. Thanks for being on Sandbox Stories. Yeah, of course. This is awesome. I loved every second of it. I can't wait to um, hear from those of you that have watched. Thanks for attending and enjoying these stories. And until my next Sandbox Story, be great at all you do.